I think as I get older, I have more of a hunger for wanting to really learn more about my family history and my culture mm-hmm. and hold on to my language. And unfortunately, Nuer is not on Rosetta Stone, um, but maybe it will be one day. Um, so yeah, I, I would say like I strive to to learn and I think I have a more appreciation for my parents and my aunts and uncles too because I mean that's that's the way I'm going to to learn, you know, outside of like the no-brainer of moving back home. That was Nyaboni Gat, and she says that her immigrant story started 22 years ago in 1992 when her parents and older siblings fled from South Sudan and found refuge in Ethiopia. The Second Sudanese Civil War was going on between the Central Sudanese government and the Sudan People's Liberation Army. It was a long and bloody war, and it caused four million people to be displaced. Nyaboni doesn't remember much from her childhood. She knows that she was born in Ethiopia, and she knows that she and her family came to the United States when she was three or four years old. Other than that, she's had to rely on stories from her parents and her aunts and her uncles. Those stories are helpful in understanding her identity, but they're not a perfect substitute. She says that only personal experience can fill that void. Today, she works with Alaska's immigrant and refugee community. She helps them overcome challenges and achieve their goals. And in that process, she says, they're helping her better understand her background and herself. So here she is, Nyaboni Gat. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. I read that you like going on road trips. Do you think it's the traveling aspect of it or is it more about discovering new things? It's definitely the discovering new things. I am a pretty curious person and I love to learn about, you know, land and people and, um, you know, just different spaces and you know, and I guess it's also part of the journey as well. And, you know, when I do it with others, I just like the the company and, and just the curiosity and the conversations that we have because of, you know, where we're going um, on these road trips. Do you remember the the last conversation you had, you know, when you were out discovering new things? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't, I guess, well, the last uh, road trip I took, we went camping. I think it was two weekends ago. Um, We literally didn't have a conversation because everybody was worn out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we were with little ones, so... um, But I, you know, what's interesting for me is, you know, the people that I go with, uh, the conversations always surround, um, like memory and, um, I have a lot of multicultural friends and so they, you know, we always make comparisons as far as like, you know, the, the things that we see and, um, you know, recalling what certain, um, things that we see remind us about our childhood years or, um, like a cultural significance of some sort. So usually it, it surrounds that. I like that. I think that's great. You know, I wonder these conversations, you know, that you say surround memory, are they specifically about childhood or maybe young adulthood or are they like from last week? Um, I'd say it's a mixture um, 
I mean, a lot of the people that I am around are also, you know, immigrants or refugees. And so um, it's it's mixed of talking about their their childhood and, and their journey and sort of like the things that we miss or the things that are different. And then, you know, of course, linking back to what happened last week or, mm-hmm. you know, connecting with um, getting updates on different community members or um, uh, like our circle of connections. So I, I guess it's a mixture. Have you found that the things that you and your friends miss, is there a similarity between them? Well, what's interesting is, um, like, I have, you know, I came to the U.S. when I was very young. I was, like, three or four. And so I don't really remember much about my home country or really my childhood years, um, you know, other than, you know, I was born in Ethiopia. Um, So a lot of my experiences and connection to home is through my parents and my aunts and my uncles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, my experience here of, you know, like living between two worlds. And um, I'd say the similarities, there, there are similarities, but there's also, you know, like I'll have some friends who will say like, well, you just don't understand because you're, you know, you you grew up here and in... I don't know, sometimes I get offended by that because, um, you know, I, I feel like I I do understand to some degree. Um, anyways, I probably veered off your question, but yeah, so there, there are sometimes similarities. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting thread that you were going down by mentioning that you do get offended when when people or your friends would say that you just don't understand i wonder why that is um i mean part of it is i think you know like when i like the first realization for me that i because i've always said you know considered myself um in an immigrant or, you know, like a refugee, like interchangeably. We came here as refugees, but... um, So I was going to a camp to volunteer, and I remember a lady picked me up um, to ride up to the camp with her, and we've only ever met through the telephone. Like, we only talked. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember her saying when she picked me, she was like, oh... I didn't realize that you were, you know, basically African because my voice, I sound very, um, and I hate using, you know, like terms, but I sound very white or very, um, American, no accent, no nothing. And so it was like that, that was a turning point for me because I'm like, oh, okay. And then I also see that my friends see me in the same light, but from the flip side where they may, you know, have their accents and, um, you know, and then they meet me and I don't have an accent. Um, And so because I don't have an accent, they automatically dissociate that I don't understand, you know, the struggles of language or the struggles of having to integrate into a new culture or just like that journey. Um, and I find that really um, interesting mm-hmm. um, and complicated and also, um, yeah, so sometimes I'm offended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They discount my, my experience. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it does make sense. You know, I don't, have that experience but it it makes me think of this question and that is were you maybe more or less offended or maybe even confused by it when you were younger basically have you learned to react to it 
differently over the years? Um, I feel like as I get older, it actually just creates more confusion for me. Okay. Um, I always thought like I would get over my quote unquote identity crisis of just, you know, having to navigate two different cultures. Um, and as I get older, I feel like, um, I find myself in circles where it's less of like, I'm more embarrassed of myself because maybe I don't know the language as well as I need to, or I don't dress a certain way, or I don't, uh, behave in a certain way. Um, as it relates to the groups that I'm, I'm with. And so I guess I, it's just created more confusion, Mm. (laughs) if anything. Yeah. And you know, when I were, and when I was younger, it was sort of like you, you brush it off. You're like, okay. Um, but now it's more of like, for me, it feeds into my self-confidence and mm-hmm. um, my, you know, willingness to kind of um, not necessarily put myself out there, uh, but just in, engage in the ways that I might may have when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, let me know if this is if this is kind of what you're talking about, but what this reminds me of is, you know, when I was younger, I grew up with a lot of like, you know, I had a pretty big friend group Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was one of them. And then as you get older, you maybe break apart from those friends from high school and everyone kind of goes their own way. And at least I needed to find out how, to be an individual, who I was individually. And that was apart from my friends or apart from my, my group that I had been with for so long. And I wonder, is that kind of what you went through? Like, you know, you're younger, you're with a group of friends and you're one of them. And then you, you get older and then you become, you know, it's just you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're going to school, you're doing all these things individually on an individual path. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, I also think a, a large part for me has been, um, so my, we resettled in Nebraska, Grand Island, Nebraska. And that, that was like, I called those my elementary school years. Mm-hmm. And growing up there, there's a huge Noir or Sudanese community. And so I was always surrounded by other Sudanese kids. Like, that was my circle. Um, And then we moved to Oregon at the end of my elementary school years. Um, And and Portland had no... (laughs) They didn't have a, a large Sudanese community at all. There was, like, us and, like, maybe four other families. Um, and so of course my, but then, um, we also lived in a neighborhood that was very, uh, culturally diverse. Um, we call it like a, um, we used to refer to it as a mini United Nations cause there's just people from all over. Okay. Um, and so I tend to, you know, even though my school wasn't as diverse, like I found a community through, uh, the place that we lived and then moving to Alaska, um, we're very diverse. <laughs> so, um, but I say that to say that um, I felt like when I was in Nebraska, it was sort of like I was living and breathing um, my culture and, and who I was because other people around me uh, reflected that too. Um, and then, you know, when we moved, um, it was just that I had to be intentional about um, engaging with uh, the people that, you know, I can most relate to um, as far as like lived experiences or language or cultural background. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like I went down a rabbit hole there, but yeah, I guess it ebbs and flows. 
you know, I wonder, what is your first memory of Alaska? It was dark. (laughs) (laughs) So we came in uh, March 2010. um, And... It was dark and there was a lot of snow. Um, And I've seen snow before because Nebraska actually has quite a lot of snow. Um, But the darkness, I think it was like, I think we got in in the afternoon. I don't remember, but I just remember it being dark and cold, (laughs) very cold. Do you remember what you thought of that? Well, I mean, I wasn't happy to move to Alaska. So, um, I mean, I was happy to see my cousins who I haven't seen in a long time. But um, I wasn't looking forward to Alaska. um, Because all I knew was, you know, all those misconceptions about Alaska. Like, you're in the middle of nowhere. There's polar bears. There's, uh, you know, huts and igloos and whatnot. So... I honestly didn't know. I couldn't wrap my head around why my parents would choose to move to Alaska. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know why they moved to Alaska now? I do. Um, It was partly, well, what's interesting about, and this is my perception of the, of my community, this South Sudanese community, is they follow each other (laughs) and um, also moving to the United States is really hard and um, trying to find a place where you can raise um, youth is really challenging and so we fled a lot of places that weren't you know positive places for um, like my, my brothers in particular. Um, and I see that a lot within our community. And so, um, our, our cousins or my aunt was like, okay, you guys should come up here. It's, you know, pretty nice. It's quiet. Um, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity to, you know, for boys to get in trouble, um, those sorts of things. And so I learned later on, I mean, that's, that's part of why we moved. We were trying to just, my parents were trying to find uh, a safe space um, that they can raise, raise us. Mm-hmm. In your mind, when you're thinking of Alaska being a safe space, what did it offer that other places didn't? That's a good question. Um, I think the biggest was like opportunity, like, um, well, one is like just, you know, the neighborhoods and, you know, like if I compare, (laughs) I don't know, I, I feel like all neighborhoods in, in Anchorage are pretty safe compared to where we were before. So, you know, being able to walk outside like freely and not be afraid um, that something might happen or that you might not see someone again. And then also I think the people, like the people were really welcoming and they, you know, wanted to to make sure that you were, you know, set up for success, whether it was finding a job or housing um, or opportunities for youth. Um, lots of opportunities for youth. And then I guess it, with youth, it was like, I know in Portland in the area that we were in, there was a lot of gang activity. And so we didn't see a lot of that in in Anchorage. And so that was a plus. Um, so th- those sorts of things. I read that you consider Alaska your second home. Did you feel that way immediately or did it take some time? It took some time. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when my family moved here, I was like, okay, I was counting down the years that I would graduate and then I would be out of here. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know why I had, like, I disliked Alaska so much. Um, well, one is, like, the weather. Like, I'm not a cold, like, I, I hate the cold. I hate snow. So I'm definitely in the wrong state. Um, but I think what changed my mind was there was just a lot of opportunity for growth and um, making connections with people. And I found myself like being able to engage very easily Mm -hmm. um, in the spaces um, that I found myself in. And also just the people were really welcoming. So over time, I created a, a community. And what did that community look like? I think that one of the biggest is finding people who I don't want to say like relate just because I don't feel like everyone has to relate to you. But um, I found being able to make connections with people who had similar experiences or like really understood um, even some of the challenges that my own family was going through. And um, we didn't feel like judged about it and and then also just feeling like you know someone has your back as far as like someone wants to see you thrive and you know do good and um so and I found a lot of that in like my own um you're just in within the immigrant and refugee community mm-hmm. um so and then just doing things that we enjoy doing. And for me, I also saw opportunity because I am, I feel like I probably am one of the, and you probably heard it before too, one of those people who likes to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I, because people have been able to, give me opportunity to engage and to grow and to, um, you know, achieve my goals. Um, I like to pay it forward. So I, I'm like a connector. I, so I, I try, I tend to, I guess, find myself in, in between a lot of things. I I don't know where I was going with that, but I like that. You said you consider yourself a connector. I wonder, you know, what does that mean to you? A connector uh, for me is like, I love to listen to people's stories and just where they're, they're at in their lives um, and be able to kind of understand like, what are their goals? What are their challenges? What are their barriers? And, and if I can, um, I like to, you know, brainstorm, like, okay, how can we get you to where you want to go? Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, maybe, um, I'm having a conversation and someone mentions this, you know, something that, that I'm like, oh, you know, I think this would be a great person to have a conversation with, or just, you know, just connect with, um, and then on the flip side, it would just be like just making sure that people have like what they need to live their lives. And I tend to provide just guidance on where to start and in, 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 this, in that sense. And are you talking about doing this in your personal life or is this work? I do it in both. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, I, I feel like wherever I go um, and wherever I'm talking to, like I, I make a connection a day, which is interesting. And I think it's sort of just like a ripple ripple effect. Like maybe I'm talking to one person and I was able to, to help or support them in some way. And then they tell their friends and then I get another phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes is work-related. Um, and then sometimes it's just because I'm part of uh, the social circle or the community in some way, like through the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're involved in a lot of organizations and programs that benefit and 
uplift the community. There's the Alaska Literacy Program. There's the South Central Alaska Area Health Education Center. Am I missing anything? Yeah, the... Um, so the Area Health Education Center is housed by um, Alaska Primary Care Association. So they're together. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. At least the South Central I wonder if you feel like your background helps you in any way with your work. I think it does a lot. I mean, I think what has gotten me to the work that I'm doing now was because of my background. And and I feel like my background has sort of uh, fueled my passions for being a, you know, being a connector or, you know, being able to work directly with immigrants and refugees, um, being able to address um, different health, you know, issues within that population. So, um, and it's a lot of, because I've been there, I've seen family members there and it's sort of like, yeah, I think my background fuels fuels my work. For someone like myself who doesn't know a whole lot about the immigrant community in Alaska, what can you tell me about your work with that community? Yeah, so um, in my role with Alaska Literacy Program, I coordinate uh, the program called Peer Leader Navigators, and they are community um, health promoters, workers um, who um, help people connect to resources, services, and really addresses just challenges around health literacy, healthcare navigation. We have a very complicated healthcare system. and and so I help to train them um, and also help to kind of guide or facilitate, you know, how we do outreach um, and how we address some of the uh, health challenges that are that arise out of, of that group. Mm-hmm. And they're made up of different. You know, I think we have 40 different languages represented, so quite a bit of languages. And mostly all of the peer leader navigators are um, immigrants or refugees. In my role at APCA AHEC, I am a health education coordinator there doing trainings around um, entry level healthcare careers um, and, you know, basically training um, people to go into entry-level positions like, you know, PCA, CNA, those types of pathways. And my focus has heavily been on those with language barriers um, or those who have been foreign trained and are wanting to go back into what they were trained in back home or if they're just wanting to um, have a new start in another area in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this question that keeps like, uh, just keeps like knocking around in my head. And what it is, is, is I work with um, youth at a media center. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, I will, you know, connect with a youth that reminds me, you know, maybe of myself when I was younger, or maybe one of my siblings. And, you know, I can identify with what they're going through. I wonder if, you know, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with your siblings or maybe yourself, maybe something about someone reminds you of of a family member or something like that. But do you ever get those connections with people where you're like, you know, I'm helping this person out? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like, you know, like the, with the purposes of the programs, um, and the organizations I'm with, I feel like that's every single person. And, you know, like when I do my 
when I do trainings in path academies, like um, I think of like my dad and he uh, was in healthcare back home. Um, he was a, sort of like a, an eye uh, doctor um, assistant, something around there. And he specialized in, I don't know, like, like there was this particular um, epidemic that happened and he focused on, on fixing that condition. And when he came to the United States, he, I think, worked, tried to work really hard to do something that was similar. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's worked as a, a CNA, a PCA, um, and you know now he's not in that field anymore, but um, I saw the struggles that he went through as far as like the language, you know, people um, acknowledging his skill set and, and that experience that he he had back home and it's just like to me like it's like incredible and I feel like every day I, I learn something new about what he did professionally back home and I think wow this is such a loss mm -hmm. um, and so when I do the path academies um, and specifically the integrated English trainings I feel like every single person who who does that has a story about what they did back home within healthcare. And I think my dad's story is sort of like a, my connection to relating to their struggles and trying to work really hard to make sure that, you know, they get to their career goals. And then, you know, on the, the flip side, like being a really a big advocate in the system as far as like, you know, the brain waste and um, how we can just better utilize skilled um, immigrants uh, in, in that workforce. Do you feel like maybe by helping some of these people who are in similar positions as your dad was, you feel like, I don't know, in some way it's like this form of uh, balancing things out? Balancing it out. I, I don't think I understand the question. Yeah, I, I think I'm tr also trying to work through the question because <laughs> I... Um, I have something similar with my dad mm -hmm. where um, he was a business owner in Alaska mm -hmm. for a few decades and that business went out of business and then now he has another business and I do all that I can to help him with that new business because of what happened to like the past business, you know, and so I, I put a lot of effort maybe that I wasn't capable of when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. That's definitely part of it. Um, I feel like those are probably like the, the lessons learned and sort of like the points of improvement. Yeah. I'm going to take us back a little bit to where we were earlier in this conversation, back to when you first moved to Anchorage. And 
I was wondering if you remembered what your first day of school was like. <laughs> it was really confusing. Um, when I was in Portland, I went to a K through eighth school. So my middle school was really small mm -hmm. and there was about, you know, 40 other students in, in my class, um, in my eighth grade class. And we had one floor and, uh, I ended up going to, I had one month left in my eighth grade year. So I went to Clark, uh, middle school and that was like, like where where am I? <laughs> because <laughs> they had periods and um, you know different levels, and they had uh, team names. Like I think I was like part of Plato or like the planets, and I was like, oh my gosh, this this is too much. Pods, right? Yes, the pods. Um, and it, I just I was just really confused. So I I think I was counting my days when school was out because it was really hard to make connections in such a big school and to come at the end of a school year too uh, in eighth grade where a lot of people you know already made you know like they they have their their friend circles or whoever um so yeah that was it was shocking mm -hmm. so we um Immigrated to the U.S. in um, the two, in 2000. Mm -hmm. um, and we were resettled in uh, initially Utah. And then we transferred to Omaha, Nebraska. And we were there for about six years. Um, six or so years. And then we moved to Oregon. Portland, Oregon. And then in 2010, we moved to Anchorage. So our immigrant story, I guess, started 20 years ago, 22 years ago. Yeah. Crazy. You know, I, I know that you were very young when you left Ethiopia, but do you remember why your family left? Yeah. So my family is um, from South Sudan. So, um, we, meaning like my parents mm -hmm. <laughs> and my older siblings, um, fled to, uh, Ethiopia for refuge because the civil war was happening in South Sudan and this was 1992 or the 1990s. And then we were actually pretty, you know, from my understanding, pretty established in in Ethiopia and Addis and you know my dad had a business and um, in I think yeah it was 1992 um, something happened and I'm I have it jotted somewhere in all of my free time to look in history on what happened in, in 1992 in Ethiopia mm -hmm. but we ended up um, and a lot of other South Sudanese uh, families ended up in a refugee camp in Ethiopia. And then that's how we ended up in in the U.S. So I think we were in the refugee camp for about uh, four, four or so years. Do your parents ever talk about that time? Very rarely. I, I think... Most of the stories and and that journey are always piecemeal when I need something like <laughs> mm -hmm. like when I applied for citizenship and I was trying to understand or answer those questions that they like they're those very intrusive questions they ask you about parts of your journey um so I guess like when i I need the information for like a legal purpose, that's when um I hear those stories, and I think mostly because they're just they're painful i mean they're they're heartbreaking so i don't you don't hear it much have you been able to piece together you know any amount of of that time yourself you know and i asked that question just um 
drawing from my own experiences, you know, with my parents. And I think parents do do this thing where they keep things from you for uh, good reasons in their mind at the time. And then it's kind of up to us as, as the kids to be able to piece together our own kind of our own story based on the fragments that we're given. Yeah. I think I've been able to do that a little bit. Um, I mean, I honestly will say my memories of the age before like six are very sparse. And I don't quite, well, I I think I know why, but I also don't know why. (laughs) Um, And I think part of it is like, probably we're just in in survival mode Mm -hmm. um, of, you know, integrating into a new country. And um, it was actually, you know, like through photos that our parents still have of, um, you know, our first arrival and um, like our first time in New York because we came through New York and, you know, being in one of the uh, refugee resettlement offices and those sorts of things. So it's through photos. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you know, my, the time before coming to the U.S., like I went back home in 2020, December 2020, first time in yeah, t- 20 years, and I was able to go and meet my one of my aunts from my mom's side, and many other people who actually knew me as uh, as a toddler, and I mean, I think hearing their I don't know, it's just, it was very warming, like, to hear them describe, you know, how I was um, during those years, and it was sort of like a, you know, there was no really, like, flashbacks, I don't really remember any, I don't remember them, um, but it gave me, um, I was like, wow, I actually had, I mean, that's part of my life, right? that's part of my journey. And it made me feel less like an imposter, if that makes sense, in my, you know, immigrant story of, you know, because I I grew up in the U.S., but I wasn't born in the U.S. And by imposter, do you feel that way because you don't remember those years when you were younger? Yeah, that's part of it. And then just, you know, other people seeing me just as American. And that hurts. And I don't exactly know how to describe it other than it hurts to, to only be seen as one thing. Do you remember how your relatives described you as a kid? Um, well, I mean, they they said I was a quiet kid and I kept to myself and that's true even today. So I was like, yes, that's, (laughs) that did not go away. Um, but mostly they described me with my mom and, um, they described my mom. Like I lost my mom when I was really young. And so a lot of that was just, you know, how she um, raised me and they would describe because I I went back and you know I know my language but I don't know it as fluently as I probably should like grammatically and so they were like comparing my language skills to um, when I was younger Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're like wow you you lost a lot of it and I was like yeah (laughs) I I did Um, and they would describe, um, you know, just, uh, where we lived and, um, like the things that I would do with 
um, my siblings and um, you know other people in in the village so mm -hmm. yeah did anything surprise you um, the biggest thing that uh, surprised me was them describing my mom and like who she was and how much of her is in me mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know that and so that was like a surprise and I think it was also a gift um, to be able to hear that. Yeah. Would you mind sharing any of that? You know, the similarities that you and your mom share? Um, I think it was a lot of just, um, well, of course, looks, that's one thing, but also like character and you know, like my mom was soft-spoken and she was humble and how she treated other people and those sorts of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I read that you really look up to your parents. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, um, I guess I look up to them a lot because the the journey here was not easy and I chuckle because it's like that's an understatement mm -hmm. <laughs> and I mean like just amount of things that they've endured and have have had to give up and um, the ways that they've had to um, shift their lives and just like all of those uh, sacrifices and and yet they, you know, in, in all of that, they, um, I think, you know, the way that they've been able to have us continue to thrive as well and, and make sure that, or tried, um, tried their hardest to make sure that we don't go through similar struggles. And then, you know, for my parents, too, it's just they, how they give and how they show up for others mm -hmm. is also very inspiring for me. And I see it within myself and I, and I want to pay it forward. Yeah. Thinking about that, I, I think that at least some of my memories of my, my parents you know, and, and still to this day, you know, they, I have both of them, um, luckily still, and I see them do things to this day where I'm like, okay, that's, that's the mark of a, you know, a good person. And I can even draw from my childhood when I would recognize those things as well. I wonder if you have something similar where, you know, you remember, your dad doing something that maybe you didn't fully understand at a certain point, but as you got older, you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's how a good human acts. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, what initially pops up for me is my mother and uh, before, she actually didn't come to Alaska with us. And um, she went to go um, stay with my, my aunt for a while. And I was so angry and confused <laughs> on like why she did that. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, like I, I would not talk to her. I, I just had so much, so much anger, and and at the time I didn't understand why she did it. Um, like why she made that choice. And as I'm older now, it was actually shortly after she passed. Like I, it was like something. Like today I can say, I fully understand why she did it. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of it was around, and this is my, you know, my take on it. There, it was just the journey of, like, she struggled with the language. She did work. And she had to raise seven of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and all of these things. And it was a lot. And she didn't always have, you know, the support of a family as if, you know, you would back home. Um, and there probably was a lot of loss and like so, so many different faucets. And I think it surrounds just being a refugee and in like, yeah, I guess now I, I understand. <laughs> and I think a lot of that has to do with also just um, reflecting on my my own experience and also working uh, more closely with the immigrant and refugee community to understand, you know, what drove her to, you know, like the choices and sacrifices she made. Mm-hmm. What's that like, you know, understanding your mom's intentions with some of those difficult decisions that maybe you didn't understand when you were younger? to be able to fully understand them now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's relieving. Um, and, you know, all of the resentment and like all of those negative feelings, like I don't have them anymore. And that's relieving. But it's also, well, of course, you know, she's no longer with us now. So there's also, for me, like a, a void of like, man, I wish I could take that those years back um, of, you know, not wanting to to talk or have a relationship with her. So, yeah, it's just, it's relieving. Um, and I think it's allowed me to want to understand her background a bit more, like, you know, where she came from and her family and um, all of, you know, that side uh, of things. Yeah, so I, I guess being more open to 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 learn about the the positives and the character and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So are you on a you know on this mission currently to learn more about your family and your heritage? Yes. Yeah, I am, and it's hard <laughs> because. Um, yeah, it's just challenging because it's, you know, it's not the only thing that that has my attention. But I think as I get older, I have more of a hunger for wanting to really learn more about my family history and my culture mm-hmm. and hold on to my language. And unfortunately, Nuer is not on Rosetta Stone, um, but maybe it will be one day. Um so yeah, I, I would say like I strive to to learn and I think I have a more appreciation for my parents and my aunts and uncles too because I mean that's that's the way I'm going to to learn, you know, outside of like the no-brainer of moving back home. Mhm. How often do you get a chance to speak new air? Every day, yeah. Um, I speak it to like my dad and um, my siblings and my aunts and people in the community. So I'd say every day. Something that I read that I really liked is that the name of New Air, and please correct me when I say this wrong. <laughs> um, Thoknoth. Mm-hmm. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, Thoknoth. Mm-hmm. means people's language. Mm-hmm. I I like that. For some yeah. reason, I, I like that a lot. <laughs> yes. 
I didn't even write a question for this. You know, I, I thought maybe um, it would come to me, you know, when we came to this, this question, but, you know, have you thought about what that, you know, that, I guess that translation people's language, has that prompted any, I don't know, any thinking on your part, you know, like kind of what, what that means maybe to you personally? Well, I guess it's just, it's identity. Um, Like for me, the way that I think about my language, you know, because I, I grew up in the U S and, and you like the American culture, like I'm, I'm, we're we're surrounded by it. And um, it's harder to embrace and continue to learn and to keep up with your own um, native culture. And for me, like I, I have like a fear that if I lose my language, then I lose my culture. And we actually say it that a lot um people in my community the elders in my community say that a lot like it's important that we pass on this language and that you know youth know the language because that is our culture Mm -hmm. um so yeah i I think i understand why it's called because it's the language of the people and the people are culture um, and that's how you carry it on. Mm-hmm. Do you think being a refugee is a present part of your identity or is that something that happened in the past? Um, that's a good question. I feel like that's a very complicated question. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I guess the technically, I mean, we're not technically refugees anymore. Um, we're immigrants, um, but the way that we came to the U.S. was as refugees. And I guess, I mean, you could say that we are still refugees because, honestly, I mean, we can't go back to our home, can't go back to our homeland. So I would say it probably consumes my thoughts as far as like this is who I am in in these spaces yes like I I am an an immigrant um and I struggle with that too because again I I grew up in the United States and I I was looking up uh I don't know if you've heard of the the different terminologies for the immigrants of like you know first generation second generation third generation um and then there's a one, 1.5 and I would consider myself a 1.5, uh, maybe like a, a 1.75, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I was born, you know, outside of the U S but I grew up here. So yeah, I, I'd say it does. And I spend a lot of brain energy understanding what that means Mm -hmm. do you think that working with you know other immigrants helps you understand that a little better it does and it doesn't okay (laughs) in what way um i think it does in that like how they're integrating Mm -hmm. into the United States is very similar, but it doesn't in the sense that I can't completely relate to back home. Like I don't, I, I don't have memories of, you know, uh, being in Ethiopia and and what that like I don't have things to compare my life now versus my life then and I guess that would be the it doesn't (laughs) Mm -hmm. so earlier I said that I read that you consider Alaska to be your second home 
where do you consider your first home? That's a good question. Um, I think like I, my first home would be like my home country of South Sudan. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I've never stepped foot in South Sudan, I still consider it home because that's where my roots are as far as, you know, my, my culture and my language and um, customs and traditions and all of those things. Um, They come from Sudan. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I always wonder, like, I'm like, well, if I were to move there tomorrow, like, (laughs) would I still consider it home? (laughs) Um, Just because it is drastically different. Like, when I went to Ethiopia, it was like, like, I knew I was definitely American in many ways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In what ways? Uh, uh, you know, like the way that I dressed, the way that I talked, um, the way that I thought. And then, of course, the people who pointed out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like we'd go to markets and my sister would be like, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't say anything because they would be like, no, immediately. Uh, oh, she's, you know, she's American. So it's just interesting. I thought that was funny. Just like. Have you thought about moving back to South Sudan? I have. Um, my original career goals were to to become a medical doctor and go back home and practice there um, and provide care to uh, my people. And I think it still is just because I still see and here there's a lot of need for healthcare, for you know public health um, infrastructure, those things. So yeah, I can I can see myself spending some time there in the near future. And when you imagine yourself in South Sudan, you know you're living there, you're working there. What else are you gaining, you know, that can kind of add to your sense of identity? I think the biggest would be a relief, like a sense of relief that I don't have to prove to anyone, not that I have to, but um, like the need to do things to get people to believe I am who I am. And I think I'll probably still have to do that because I'm also American, but not so much because they're my people. Um, Yeah, I think it's just... uh, it ease to feel like I, I fit in somewhere, and I'm less confused about my identity and who I am. A few things I've picked up on throughout this conversation are the ideas of identity and of home, and your discovery and understanding of both. When you think about this ideal of home or this idea of home, what does home mean to you? Um, That you feel welcomed, that you can, you know, be who you are without feeling like you're trapped or you're an outsider or, you know, whatever it might be, Um, like feeling other. Mm -hmm. And then it's also a place where you can do the things you like to do without judgment. And then I think it's, you know, the opportunity to, to grow and feel like, okay, like 
I I'm content. Like I I don't have an urge to like for me, I feel like something is missing. And I sometimes feel like, you know, if I don't go back home that there will be a part of me that will be forever lost. So I guess home is also feeling like whole. Like I, I, I don't exactly have one word <laughs> to describe home, but um, yeah, you can be you, you're welcomed. Yeah. Yeah, it's mental and physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Nyaboni, you know, that does it for my questions. I want to thank you for, you know, chatting with me today, sharing your story with me today. Um, it means a lot. No, thank you for listening and very intriguing questions. <laughs> Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, not really, other than just appreciation for um, what you do in, in hosting these conversations. And I think, you know, I spend a lot of brain energy trying to, you know, make sense of, of my lived experience, whether that was the past or, you know, present or the future. And I also think it's really important that there is uh, a space for people to reflect, but also for people to, to listen. And particularly I think about like people in youth in my community, like young adults like me, um, you know, youth um, under the age of 18 and like, I see loss uh, of identity, I see loss of culture, and it's sad. And I just only wish that, like, these, you know, things are expanded upon as far as, like, uh, people being able to share their experience. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker, Janet Northey, Julie Varee, Kirill Bohr, and Ella Thompson. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors.